Welcome to Unstable, a relatable mental health podcast. Here we aim to deconstruct mainstream narratives about what it means to be well and talk about our shitty feelings, all in the hopes of finding some moments of healing or at the very least, someone to relate to. Hey everyone, uh, this is Rachel with our third episode of the Unstable Podcast. Uh, we are coming at you from Clinket on Knee, otherwise known as Juno, Alaska. And yeah, we have a good conversation that we're ready to have for you to listen to. <laughs> um, so just a reminder before we get going about our email, uh, it's unstablepod at gmail.com and you can send your thoughts and your comments or things you'd like to hear us talk about or if you think you'd be a great guest for me to chat with tell me i would be happy to chat with you uh other than that i just have an update on our swear jar for charity tally uh last episode we added another eight dollars to the pot and uh, we are now at $24. So let's see how much we can add this episode. Uh, so before we get into our conversation, again, we'll do our little intros. So it's still me. It's still Rachel Iafola hosting this podcast. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I am still a ghostly pale little gal with really big glasses and red hair. And today, my fun question is our top three favorite scents. How how quirky, how fun. Uh, <laughs> mine are like a chai tea latte, my parents' Italian cooking, and I don't know, anything like lemongrassy. And that's all, that's all I got for my intro. So Alicia. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. I'm Alicia. <laughs> Marriott. My pronouns are she, her. Um, let's see. My um, my father's people are Clinket. Um, he's Lukahadi, which is Raven Sockeye. My uh, and he's Greek as well. Uh, my mother's people are Kosalish Stalo um, from British Columbia, and I'm not sure what else. Um, probably Western European. She was adopted. Um, and let's see, I don't know. I'm five, four. I have bangs <laughs> and green hair. Um, <laughs> and my top three scents. Yeah. Uh, I love the smell of the ocean. Um, I don't think I could live anywhere that wasn't near water. Um, the ocean. I like the smell of lavender and baked goods. Mm. Wow. Now I want cupcakes. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk and, you know, dissect our feelings and dissect, uh, the wellness industry <laughs> and general narratives around wellness. Um, I guess to start off, what are, like, what has kind of been your experience with common wellness practices like therapy or treatment or self-care any of that like have you utilized any of those things um yes i um <clears throat> since i was a teen probably six yeah 16 um i have been in various forms of therapy um and on uh, medication um my parents uh sent me to boarding school which is um it was a residential program in Bend, Oregon for about 15 months. Um, very similar to the JYS program. Um, I don't know if Lighthouse is still a thing, but it was an all girls residential program like Lighthouse. Um, and I don't know, wellness. Let's see. As an adult, um, I kind of quit caring about my mental health and wellness for a while. <laughs> um, I've been in therapy off and on as an adult, most of my adult life, um, 
so like 13 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I, at various times I've had health insurance that paid for it, which was really helpful. Um, I don't know. I have really, I've mixed feelings about different areas of wellness. I'm not like an expert in wellness or mental health, but, um, my experience, uh, in Juno in particular, um, is there's, I, for, well, I want to, um, I'm 100% for therapy. Anybody Mm -hmm. who seeks therapy or is in therapy or is remotely interested in therapy, I think you should do it. The caveat um, behind that, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, um, where specifically where we're located, um, but for underrepresented and marginalized communities, is that um, talk therapy, for example, is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, there's a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Gaps. Mm-hmm. Um in understanding and connection and what does it mean to go to therapy? What are we calling our therapist? Is it a clinician? What does that mean to um, like native people, for example? Mm-hmm. When I hear that word and when I heard that word as a kid um, and when I first started, when my mom started taking me to Dr. Stoffer, um, who I don't think is in practice anymore, but he was the child psychologist in town. Um, and then to a couple of um, clinicians, I immediately thought that something was very wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't really open up very much. <laughs> so I just didn't make the connection. It wasn't something that I learned in school, which I, I feel like is a place where we could do a much better job at, at um, as a community but in, in schools in particular, uh, at getting people used to, to the idea of what, what is therapy, what is counseling, what is, um, how do we access it? Um, so I don't know. That's kind of where I was going and that I forgot what your question was, (laughs) but (laughs) you, you answered it. And then some, um, because actually, I mean, we briefly talked about this, like five minutes ago before we started <laughs> recording. But um, when you specifically were talking about, um, wow, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah. When you were talking about how, you know, talk therapy, therapy is not like this one size fits all approach. Like I am definitely someone who always said that. I was like, oh, therapy, fix everything. And I'm I'm also a very strong advocate for therapy. Um, but obviously, like, I'm being blinded by my whiteness a little bit here and not seeing the um, potential barriers that other folks would face and like the stigmatization around it or just like the lack of education that's been given to certain communities around it. Um, So I guess, do you want to talk about at all like therapy as this stigmatized place or kind of as this, um, place that has barriers for certain either people or certain persuasions or whatever? Well, I guess um, the other thing I wanted to say about making the connection, um, especially like starting young with uh, educating students and families in the schools, is that we're already, um, you know, other communities are already not just white people are already doing therapy Mm -hmm. in other ways. Um, And so making that connection, I feel like is really important. Um, You know, it's not, maybe it's not you and I sitting across from each other in an office on a couch, um, but maybe we're in a talking circle or we're um, beating at auntie's house or Mm. um, in a sweat lodge, you know, so there's, that disconnect, I feel like, um, could, you know, could be brought to the forefront. Um, and, uh, I, I have the school kind of top of mind because we, I just had a meeting this morning, um, with the cultural safety in schools group. Um, and that's 
Hatushlachish um, coalition, but it's just community members from a variety of agencies. And we were talking about how the district just funded um, or has positions for clinicians, I think, at um, three schools. And one of them is middle school age. And how um, it's a great opportunity. Um, we certainly didn't have clinicians in school when I was in school. Um, but you know, having this soft money potentially for a program that's not going to last very long with not with no cultural connection to the place that we are is um, a huge blind spot. And I'm not saying that that's how they're going to um, go about the endeavor, but it's just some things to think about. That's what's been on my mind. Yeah. Um, well, and definitely like what you said, acknowledging that like folks have already been doing stuff to heal forever um and yeah acknowledging that and giving voice to that and giving credit to that too instead of just being like nope we're gonna do it this way and this is the only way to do it i'm gonna send you to somebody with a bunch of letters behind your name because that's what you know yeah our culture our society holds up as this is what makes you a legit whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i guess um well, one thing, so this this was actually just a random thought that I had written down earlier today um, that actually had stemmed from a conversation that I had had with my therapist last week. Um, so just kind of like the dynamic of traditional talk therapy, or quote unquote traditional talk therapy, um, like can be triggering like just this idea that things that mainstream society says like oh this is a wellness practice can be triggering for people and that all stemmed from i had an experience where i went and got a massage and i was so triggered because someone i didn't know was touching my body and they were like um you need to relax and i was just like i can't but i also don't want to unload like my past trauma on you so i'm just gonna pretend that everything's fine yeah um so yeah just kind of how do we it is it like there's so much damage in the one size fits all approach to wellness because yeah what what could be triggering for you is not for me and vice versa uh so uh i don't know where i was going with that but if there's a question <laughs> that you want to answer that you thought of during that feel free to say anything um i don't i don't have a question but i think that's an interesting point to just when you're starting um, a wellness practice with somebody that you don't know at all or doesn't know you, you know, I, um, like I mentioned, have, have bounced around um, for years <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't, it really didn't occur to me until honestly last year that um, maybe I wasn't approaching it the way that would work for me. Mm -hmm. And um, because it's not, it's not intuitive for me as an individual, but also I feel like, um, for indigenous people and, and, um, and, and other people, um, of color and, and other underrepresented groups to just open up to a stranger mm -hmm. and say, these are all my problems. Um, can you help me fix them? Because there's, you know, clearly been trauma in the past that caused caused us to get to this point where we haven't wanted to talk about it <laughs> and a lot of scapegoating that's happened so you're like what if you gaslight me you know yeah yeah or you know when i was a kid when i was a teenager the i know for certain the number one reason i wasn't saying anything was because i thought they were going to tell my parents mm -hmm. and i was already in so much trouble it's like what's the freaking point <laughs> you know um so I don't know. That's, that's, um, like the approach for me as an adult. Now I'm like, okay, you know, I want, I clearly want help. So I'm going to go and seek this therapist and tell them this is what I want to do and what I want to mm -hmm. work on. And if there are places where they think that they can't meet those needs, um, um, for example, like in decolonization work in this last year, you know, um, being in lockdown and, watching um the black lives matter movement and people 
getting more interested in um, social justice activism was really triggering to me um, in a, you know, in good ways and bad ways. Mm-hmm. But um, because I realized that there was a lot of uh, unresolved trauma that I had not <clears throat> really approached as or not even necessarily trauma, just like a lot of stuff about family history that I didn't really understand very well and that I wanted to, to, to heal and to be a better advocate. Um, and so that's kind of where, like, I had to take a step back and I, I quit going <laughs> for a while and now I'm back in this started up again mm-hmm. process, um, was that I didn't recognize what my, what my needs were. And that was to work through trying to understand historical trauma, um, you know, because it wasn't necessarily trauma that had happened to me, um, but reconciling what had happened to my family um, mm-hmm. and my grandma and my great grandma, um, who was pregnant with my grandma in boarding school, you know, and that's the only reason she got out um, at the time that she did. And so that's, um, I forgot where I was going, but uh, I think, one of the things that, um, and we'll probably t- talk about youth work, <laughs> but, um, one of the things that I feel like is really important, um, in working with youth, um, is relationship building. Mm-hmm. And that's like, w- regardless of whether you're a licensed clinician or whatever you do with youth, um, that is the number one thing that I feel like is super important uh in order to support our our youth in in whatever way that means um and so just saying you should go see this counselor isn't really as an example isn't really in my mind if i don't know anything about that counselor Mm -hmm. they've never met um like bridging that gap is kind of where i feel like we could do some work (laughs) a lot um well i was actually speaking of youth um when you were talking about how you as an adult like recognized your needs had shifted so you took a step back from therapy um kind of and but then like as a kid you probably like could have benefited from certain things but you were just like you didn't tell anyone because you're like oh they're gonna tell my parents and stuff like that so just like how do we do you have any thoughts on kind of enabling kids to be able to recognize their own needs and like set boundaries for themselves and stuff like that in wellness spaces? Um, I think, gosh. I'm just trying to think back to what, what could have, what, what could (laughs) I have done differently? What, around me could have happened differently Mm -hmm. that I would have felt more comfortable talking to, you know, getting help earlier. Um, And I have trouble thinking about that because I still blame myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think just creating safe spaces as as much and as many as possible in the community for young people to be and feel to hang out and feel supported and for those for the adults in those spaces to be well connected with each other um i think that's super important um you know as from an from an asset lens when we look at all of the resources in juno available to us there's so many Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of the time um we're we're missing connections that could be helpful um i occasionally hang out at the zach gordon youth center and um that has been really beneficial for for me (laughs) because i get to know more of the kids Mm -hmm. and they're hopefully a little more comfortable um maybe coming to me or you know whoever else the other adults that are there because we're we're just around each other more and um so i don't know how to make turn that into a into a work method but like being in each other's spaces outside of the pandemic (laughs) 
um i feel i feel like it's super helpful and just like the adults knowing making the connections and um and sharing resources it's like a lot of high level words but or <laughs> you know um yeah we got to hang out more together <laughs> yeah we all gonna be pals yeah i feel like modeling relationships with like other adults in front of them but also like with them and reminding kids that it's like you're not just a kid you're a whole person um so going off of like this idea of just you know being in youth spaces and like safe spaces for youth in general um like what what would i guess the dream like look like in terms of you know like why why does it matter that spaces are safe or quote unquote i mean that's like for me asking that like my answer is duh it matters (laughs) um but like kind of when we talk about like representation mattering and um you know cultural awareness mattering like why should people give a shit about that um because in a predominantly uh white patriarchal like cishet society that is not necessarily welcoming to other identities um having a space that's just meant for you um is i mean it's kind of mind-blowing to me that it you know it's not it's certainly been a thing um for folks when they just do it on their own Mm -hmm. you know um i'm like plenty of activists um in history and uh groups that have formed um because they needed a space where they felt like they belonged Mm -hmm. um and that was going to uh serve their needs and wants um but also just i mean those things i feel like belonging is important and just um i don't know a place where you can go and not have your guard up because Mm -hmm. of of um because you don't feel welcome for for whatever for whatever reason but i feel like a lot of it has to do with um identities and backgrounds that uh that um white supremacy does not support yeah i feel like (laughs) couldn't have said it better myself um i feel like just so much when people are talking about safe spaces and shitting on the idea of safe spaces they're like well i feel safe here so why wouldn't you it's like think outside of yourself for 0.2 seconds i dare you i i mean and it's there's the argument too that there you know is a is every is is any space like technically fully totally safe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just who I it's something that I think about um, when we're working on these quote unquote safe spaces mm-hmm. th- and creating them like we've uh, done with BIPOC Teen Talk and um, um, Spicy Water. <laughs> um, I know that there are efforts to get a GSA up and running um, again. And so I feel like those are good places to open the door and model and and teach um, youth to advocate for themselves as well. Um, Just be, you know, around like-minded people. (laughs) Because sometimes that just like takes so much um, weight off to be around people that you know you have this some of the similar interests and experiences Mm -hmm. makes a big difference um when i oh sorry i was just gonna say um in in letting your guard down and like being able to be yourself and uh maybe sharing or reaching out to somebody in particular in the group about something you need help with Mm -hmm. so um well and two when you were just talking about um kind of how underrepresented groups or groups that felt their needs weren't being met have like made their own spaces 
um, like what can, I don't know if it be the city or just communities in general do to like make these spaces more widely accessible and kind of take the burden off of the people that need them the most to like provide them for themselves. Or do you think that that's like, maybe that's not, I don't know, is that not the community's place, but also we should all want everyone to feel safe. And <laughs> I think we have to like take this, this, um, I don't know, this like hat off or <laughs> I don't know what it is, but this idea that there's only one way to do things, mm -hmm. which I feel like is just very, very centered um, around how white people do stuff. <laughs> you know, you go to therapy and you take your drugs and and you go to school and you get good grades and you go to college and then you mm -hmm. get an office job and you buy a house and a white picket fence and a car and you have two kids, two and a half or whatever. You know, like that's, there's more than one way to do things. Mm -hmm. And um, that, and uh, there's a lot of people, I feel like as an, as, as an adult, I'm, just now learning that um, chasing those things that I thought were uh, important to my happiness or whatever were not, were not. <laughs> because I'd done a few of them and they weren't that fun. You're like, wait a minute, I still, <laughs> I still feel empty inside. There's still some shit going on. <laughs> not totally empty, but. <laughs> Good as times. far as those, um, make, as far as creating safe spaces goes, mm -hmm. Um, making sure that the people leading those groups uh, actually identify and want, you know, want to be there and are excited and they're not just um, trying to go in and fix something that isn't, it's, it's not something that needs to be fixed. It's just we need a space and um, it should be hosted by people who are in the same lane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think motivations behind like why people or like, are you doing this project or are you doing this? facilitation or whatever to make you feel better or are you doing it to actually give like true space to the people who need it um yeah i think that a lot of you see it in like like on like social media social justice stuff it's just like okay are you posting this to make yourself feel good or are you following it up with actual actions afterwards yeah um virtue signaling <laughs> yes, that's yes, exactly. Um what a, yeah. Why didn't I know that? I didn't know that's what it was called. But I that, I hate to say it, but I saw that on social media. It's okay. Sometimes it's good. But it, it was one of those like with 10 slides and lots of words. Oh yeah. It's just like, "Here, learn this." It's educational, right? <laughs> it's got its pros. Um So one thing that you also this is kind of derail uh sort of <laughs> but one th and then we'll probably go back to talking about youth <laughs> later as well but one thing that i did want to ask before i forget um is kind of like you brought up this duality of therapy that it's like it can be a stigma stigmatized place or practice whether like the person who is going feels stigmatized or punished for going um but it's also like viewed as a luxury because so many people can't afford it. Like how can, how can it be both? Why is it so complex? Hmm. Um, well, I think uh, this is just my, my singular perspective, but I, I think fortunately with time, more people are having conversations about mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I hope that that is translating to the people, the folks who really need it. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then, like you said, there's this duality, like, um, it's totally, it's, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's normal to talk about mental health. It's normal to have um, long periods of depression or anxiety or whatever the you're dealing with um grief um all of those things 
So yes, it's great that we're talking about that a lot of us experience those things. However, um, getting the help that we need, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I think the barrier is, um, is accessibility because um, a lot of counseling is private and expensive. Um, uh, there are some free-ish options in town. Um, and I think um, they probably are busy, <laughs> but I don't think that they're saying no to people. Um, I have been on a wait list as an example for um, this time when I decided to go back to Jammy for three months. <laughs> and um, so that's something that I think people need to know. Um, but, you know, like we in the after school program that I work with, we, uh, as an example, we had a virtual workshop um, and we talked about mental health during a pandem pandemic um, and kind of how are we dealing. But we also had um, some local community resources on the call as well. So NAMI was there, Juno Suicide Prevention, um, JAMI, and uh, the Teen Health. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, JYS wasn't there, but I think that they also have low-cost counseling. I could be wrong. Um, so that it kind of goes back to that, like, People maybe people don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody knows that you can go to Jammy or go to the Teen Health Center um, for free. And then, you know, depending on your family income, there's a sliding scale at Jammy. Um, so accessibility um, is is a hard one. I I think that. Um, public education could do a better job at sharing those resources with folks. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to, <laughs> how do you ask a clinician who went to school for six years to give you a break on your bill? I don't, I mean, I don't know. Or, I mean, it's a, it's a wider, it's a systemic issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you convince insurance companies that like mental health is health? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Because some, you know, some insurance covers it and some of it, I feel, I feel like a lot of it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So no matter how much we're kind of slowly getting away from the stigma, it's still this unattainable thing. And normalizing other modes of quote unquote therapy. Yeah. And, and broadening the availability of that by supporting it with funding that might go towards, I don't know, um, a clinician position that's only going to be there for three years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it seems like the dream is kind of this web of support that genuinely keeps up communication with one another, but also like has an active presence in the lives of the people that they want to support. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess... That, like, sounds so easy to say, <laughs> but <laughs> then, like, I've worked in nonprofit wor world, you work in the school world, and you do stuff at the Zach and stuff, too. Like, what is the, why, why is it so hard? Um, yeah, like, what is, what is the, what is this instability coming from? of like this not being able to be an achievable reality. Capitalism? I don't know. <laughs> wow, I love it. Um, <laughs> I mean, frankly, I feel like we do a better job as a community. Um, probably a lot of places could say this uh, at mutual aid mm -hmm. than the government ever will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so just, you know, building on those relationships and, um, and, and looking at our needs from an asset lens. Um, I learned a little bit about asset mapping from um, 
from someone on the coalition and um and it just she just like it blew my mind what is i'd have no idea what no. asset mapping is um to look at all of the resources in town that are available to youth for example mm-hmm. so um where can they get shelter where can they get food where can they get mental health support where can they go for just regular medical um health um all of those things and have you know i I think there's like a spreadsheet with some of that information that the united way puts out um, or revises every quarter or something like that which is great but i think like making the connections with the people who are working there is really important and having kind of this like ongoing dialogue Mm -hmm. um what are your needs right now are they changing who's coming in to your um Who's coming through? Yeah. <laughs> what are the um, trends? Who's not? Why? Why are? Why are we missing? Like uh, maybe a demographic. Um. So, just a lot of it is like constant communication and being in relationship and community with each other, and that's mm-hmm. not intuitive to how like capitalism <laughs> trains us to be yeah, yeah just independent like you take care of yourself whatever that's not how that's not what community is like the antithesis of community <laughs> yeah wow lots of clashing in this episode <laughs> um well and i guess to kind of talking about when you were saying you know who who could use this service but isn't like what are the barriers in place what are the gaps um like some of the barriers that I think about when I think about just access to spaces um, are, I mean, like people having general, like people who have experienced trauma or been stigmatized or something, having just general fear or distrust of the place they're going to, but also like literal physical barrier. Like is your space accessible to disabled folks? Is um, like, are your practices are they actually trying to meet the people that they know that they need to meet like where they're at or. Well, and then getting input from the people you serve. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I feel like that helps that problem. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Um, wow. And I guess even going off of that, that just it just all circles back to like this is why we need representation in these spaces and this is why we need these safe spaces because otherwise people like aren't gonna we keep running into the same like yeah. a lot of the same problems um and wondering what what why <laughs> because we've been doing things the way we've always done them which is not how you make changes for the better whatever yeah. you know <laughs> yeah um we have to dismantle white supremacy that would that would help a lot yeah (laughs) yeah now i'm just having a brief existential crisis excuse me um (laughs) this is a big it's a big issue to tackle so we can't solve everything right in this conversation um well what about like have you seen any mutual aid happening among kids like how are kids actively supporting one another when like maybe they don't know where to go to get resources but like they have each other um so i i work at yakusuke dakahiri and um i don't know about the other schools because i'm not there but i feel like the the culture of that school in general is very community minded um and the teens in particular the youth there um take really good care of each other um they yeah, i've seen teens bring a bring a friend to the teen health center because um maybe they were afraid to go on their own or um you know having a friend stay with them for a while because maybe their friend's housing situation is not ideal mm-hmm. um i'm sure there's a plenty of other examples that um i don't know about that they're (laughs) doing to take care of each other but even just an after school program like i'll have uh you know one or two kids show up to an activity and then the next time they both bring friends and Mm -hmm. i know you know like as a kid i was i didn't really like going into 
spaces that I didn't know anybody or like wasn't familiar with the activity. Yeah. Um, so I think just supporting each other in that way is uh, pretty common. And I don't know, they just, they, they take really good care of each other. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've witnessed that um, in other places. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we just have to keep this spark of caring alive in the children. (laughs) Thanks, Ty, for that suggestion of that question. (laughs) Let's see, what else do I have? Or sometimes they even advocate for each other, like straight up to us, to the teachers and staff, like, hey, this isn't cool, or this happened to my friend and I want to fix it, you know, Mm. um, which is just wild to me i just don't remember <laughs> i wasn't like that well, i also i feel like like looking back when i was in high school ugh, what a weird time um i just feel like you'd even have instances where like kids would act out and like i was conditioned to be like mm, they're being rude but like that was them advocating for themselves in a way mm-hmm. they just like didn't have the tools necessary to like do it in the like you know school appropriate way socially acceptable yeah yeah and i think that like i think if adults like if a kid you know gave you sass or whatever like even if you didn't like the way they did it be like i appreciate that you are advocating for yourself right now Mm -hmm. like just saying that yeah is incredible that's a good reminder and i thank you everyone say that everyone do i'm talking to all you listeners (laughs) kids have a lot of feelings and they're all valid yeah um yeah and i just think like you and again it all ties back to there are multiple ways to achieve the same goal and like we need to view all of them as valid so long as they are not you know like physically or mentally harming anyone but like just the world is so much more complex and (laughs) unique and beautiful than just like the white cis hat way of doing things we contain multitudes it's true there's probably i don't know something about like a kaleidoscope i'm trying to think (laughs) some fun quotes so i feel like we've gotten to kind of like the same conclusion a lot and we've just like run in circles because all of these problems are so complex and like systemic and rooted in so much history and overwhelming at times uh so now you know let's just add more to that let's really end uh, go out with a bang <laughs> um and i would kind of want to ask you like what in your view what does like true decolonized wellness look like super light topic <laughs> to end it i know um i think that there we could do a few a few things um one of which would be we clearly need a more diverse um representation in clinicians mm-hmm. um more clinicians of color more clinicians in the queer community more clinicians who understand what it's like to have a disability um normalizing other forms of therapy and making them available um in common public spaces like within the schools um and so whether that's beating at auntie's house um for example they uh clink and hide it before the pandemic used to have um auntie's house every saturday Mm -hmm. and you could just go and work on your your beading or whatever craft you were working on and that in itself is very healing um uh, just other other forms of of therapy whatever you know that looks like for um for individuals you know uh I know I had something else and I forgot what it was, but um, normalizing other forms of, of therapy, um, talking about language, I, th- I think mm-hmm. is important too. Like, how do we talk about wellness? Um, and, you know, cause I mentioned the, the clinician word mm-hmm. uh, can be 
a little triggering, I think, um, for some people, um, or, you know, being sent to a psychiatrist or whatever. Um, and what was the third thing? Shucks. (laughs) Um, I should have written it down. <laughs> okay. Um, more diversity in counseling. More diversity in ways we we seek out or ways we do use therapy and forms of healing. Um, I thought I had another one, but I think it's gone. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I know. Have you like had an experience? where you've had a therapist or had anyone who's like actually been a person of color or um yes i um just in the not too recent past um i saw a clinician of color for the first time in my life um and i only got to see them once because it was free um and it was a very different experience from what I've had with um, other clinicians. And um, I didn't really have to say anything about um, my background. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about, um, you know, where my family was from. But um, at the time, it was like dealing with trying to understand all of the fucked up shit that was happening last year um you know being in lockdown and and uh and watching black people be murdered by police um and seeing the apathy in our country and just like it was all this stuff was going on in my head that I hadn't really figured out how to deal with and she she understood me and seen saw me and heard me in a way that I'd never mm-hmm. felt seen and heard. Um, and I just think that that's not something that you can, you can't give um, a white person ex- an experience as a person of color or an understanding or an, an empathy that's, you can't just like get it at school. <laughs> yeah. No matter how much like, yeah, no matter how much empathy they have for the situation, like, if you can't, there still is a disconnect if you can't truly relate. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's hard because, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that the other therapist didn't care, but you can just, it's it's, it's a feeling. <laughs> yeah, I would I, I mean, I, I can't relate, but I could imagine. And, and it was verbal, too. You know, she was verbalizing exactly how I felt. And yeah. I had never, I hadn't had the ability to do that by myself. And nobody else had done that either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, perfect. Um, yeah. And that's why representation matters, everyone. <laughs> A good example. Um, wow. I know you also... I mean, again, I feel like we've <laughs> talked about it a lot, but yeah, this just general idea of one size fits all is just something that I think we need to get away from. I think it is pervasive in the mainstream, like wellness narratives we are all fed. Um, and I really, I th- like the only way to combat it is to have conversations like this to be like there are so many other ways to do things if you just open your eyes i'm shaking my head yes (laughs) it's true she is and like just because something works for someone else and it doesn't work for you like that's not on you that is not a fault of the individual it is just a fault of the system and there are other options out there um I think about it in a similar way to, um, you know, if you, how we are in relationship with people and Mm -hmm. you have, you know, probably a few friends. Um, and if you have a partner, then you, you have that person in your life too. And then you've got your family. All of these different people are, um, you're not going to have all of your needs met by your partner. Yeah. So that's why you have other people in your life and vice versa. You know, you have a lot to offer to all of these people in different ways and it's not going to be the same for every person. Mm -hmm. So that's 
that's how I think of it. And I just think that there are, I've been operating this way for a long time and I, I still have to like catch myself on a regular basis. But this idea that like we know what's best and this is how, this is how we do things. Um, and we're just going to go, th- go through with it on our own without mm-hmm. like consulting the tribe, for example, mm-hmm. um, in town is, it's like, come on, <laughs> it's 2021. Yeah. But we have a lot of opportunities to partner. And I think that that's a great asset, um, in this town and being, you know, a relatively still small landlocked community. Yeah. That if we're going to live together and be in community together, maybe we should support each other in the best ways that we can, you know, with all the skill sets that we have. Mm-hmm. And like validate and genuinely uplift all of the different skill sets and perspectives and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of freaking wisdom in this town and yeah. it's pretty wild. How many? Yeah. It's, I love it here. I know it's in, such in, a, special in place. a lot of ways. <laughs> I'm talking trash, but I still love it here. <laughs> yeah. Trying to explain Juno to people and like, I, I'm, I barely count as a person who lives in Juno for the record. Um, you're a Juno. I, it's, I, it's, I'm just going to ramble and babble. Apparently it's just so unique and incredible and it has so many flaws, but it also has this just innate beauty in like, not only physically, but also just you, you feel it. There's something about it. I'm emotional now. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess is that I, that's all I got. I thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, And I'm glad that we got to (laughs) rant about the systems that are in place together. Um, And I guess on that note, We'll wrap it up. And to our listeners, as always, we are so glad that you listened and we are so happy that you're here. Unstable is hosted by Rachel Iafola, recorded by Ty Shea, and edited by Scott Burton. This podcast is made possible because of the collective vision of the Juno Suicide Prevention Coalition and funding from the Juno Community Foundation. We'd love to hear from you with any comments, thoughts, or suggestions, so send us an email at unstable.pod at gmail.com.